Hey friends, welcome to the Reconstructing Prayer podcast, a one-season, short-run podcast series where I sit down with leading Christian intellectuals and I interview them on the intersection between theological deconstruction and spiritual formation. I'm Andrew Ray Williams, the author of a newly released book entitled Reconstructing Prayer Beyond Deconstructing Your Faith, published by Cascade Books. Today I get to sit down and talk with my friend Stephen Felix Yeager, who is an associate professor at Life Pacific University and the chair of the Worship Arts and Media Program there. He's an exhibiting artist, a songwriter, a producer, and he's also the author of several books, including Pentecostal Aesthetics, With God on Our Side, Spirit of the Arts, Art Theory for a Global Pluralistic Age, Renewal Worship, and others. He's also written numerous scholarly articles about art, aesthetics, worship, theology, and I know that you're going to really enjoy hearing from Stephen's insight. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Stephen, welcome to the podcast, man. Hello, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Tell me about your personal life, a little bit about maybe some professional um, things that you have going on. And, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, um, you know, I, uh, you, you read that I'm a professor out here in Southern California. and um, But first and foremost, you know, I would probably consider myself an artist, uh, kind of a creative type um, that's also a theologian and philosopher, but like but um, I think the, my first approach to the world is, is through the lens of an artist. I have a beautiful wife, Connie, and a wonderful daughter, Mila, and a dog named Biggie out here. And um, I'm a big basketball fan. In fact, I schooled you, my friend, in fantasy basketball. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> so, uh, so that was pretty good. But yeah, actually, I, I, know, I appreciate you not bragging on this twice, but you actually beat <laughs> me in two different leagues. So That's true. That's yes. true. Yes, that was yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Injuries, you know. Uh, that's that's right. That's right. Well, it's good to have you on, man. I'm excited about this conversation. I know you work in the church, but you also work in a university setting. You work mm-hmm. with young people yep. who are coming to you and your, your courses with a lot of questions. And this whole uh, conversation about deconstruction mm-hmm. Um, is a big one, not only in the church, but uh, definitely in the academy. So can you tell me a little bit about your experience as a professor and as uh, someone who is involved in the church, helping people who are deconstructing their faith or uh, wrestling with their faith? Tell me a little bit about your experience with that. You know, you you get these kind of questions in uh, in college and whatnot, but... uh, uh, funny enough, like usually the ones that you find out uh, deconstruct are the ones after they leave college, you know, so like, mm-hmm. like you, they'll, they'll have left college and then they'll, you, you'll see that they're not practicing as a, as a Christian anymore, or, or they said they were deconstructing or whatever. And, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it is happening all the time. The world, the world is messy, and it's real. And there's a lot of problems and issues in the world. And, and if we can't handle stuff, we can't just like talk through issues and offer guidance in the middle of the mess, then I don't see how we're going to help people. You know, Jesus went to the prostitutes. He went to the lepers. He went where they were. He didn't tell them to clean themselves before 
they could even talk to him. He went to them. And I think the church has, has, has um, in the West, you know, in our context, has um, done somewhat of a poor job. We, we kind of expect people to, <clears throat> to clean themselves up, to filter themselves before, before we're able to talk to them. What are some other reasons you think that the church is not necessarily often the place where Christians wrestling with big issues feel comfortable? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think almost a political weight that follows these kind of things. And, and, and so when you, when you talk about, like, let's say there's a, there's a young person that's struggling with their sexuality or something like that, and they want to have, they want to talk through the issues, they might get demonized and they could, uh, we, we've seen this like a million times where they get demonized in a, in a space where, um, where this isn't, uh, this isn't um, uh, okay. But the thing is like, even if the, se- if, even if the sins are, if the sexual sins are sins and we know them as sins, you know, the church needs to be a place where you can actually work through these things mm-hmm. and come to the other side where, where Christ is. There's a, there's a old, um, you know, saying truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is sentimentality. I actually think that's, pr- that's wrong. You know, uh, if Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, then truth without love is impossible. Yeah. You might be saying facts, but you're not speaking truth. Yeah. Truth has to be in love. The best place to go when you have problems should be the church. The place you go when you have problems in the depth of it all should be the church and it should be a sanctuary. It should be a safe place. I think so So often people will get into deconstruction um, because a couple of things. One, churches are afraid to deal with the issue. So they give you like these Christian platitudes. The most, the hardest challenge I've ever read against Christianity uh, was Nietzsche for me. I don't know what's wrong with you. Reading Nietzsche, it's just like, man, yep. he's like, he's he slapping Christianity around. And it's like, it's such a heavy, heavy, passionate critique. And, um, and, and pro- probably the only like books I ever read where like, I had to stop for a moment and pray. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> where like, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta pray. I gotta yes. check the spirit. I gotta pray, you know? Um, and so, uh, but what I did was when I had questions and I saw a critique is like, no, I, I don't want a platitude. I don't want some Diet Coke version of something. I want to know the reality of it. I want, you know, like I, my faith in Jesus is strong enough that I believe Jesus will be there regardless what anybody throws in the way. So I've read uh, um, all the major works of Nietzsche and, um, and, and engaged him, know what the thoughts are and know what the critiques are. And then I got critiques of his, you know what I'm saying? But I gave him a fair shake and a a real understanding of it because I wasn't afraid of losing my faith. Yeah. And so people are, you know, you got to ask like, did they even have faith in the first place? Yeah. Or did you make Christianity so simplistic? That's right. That's right. I mean, if it really, if Jesus really is who we believe he is, then he can withstand anything, anything. And I do think that like you, like he you put your finger on something. I think there's a, there's, there's a sense of fear that, that we have an unease that, um, that in some way there will be something that can come against that will shake it to, to where it, it just falls apart. And no doubt there, there are people who have come, you know, to some of these critiques and they've deconverted. But I think what I hear you saying, Stephen, is that the church can be a place and actually ought to be the place 
where these kinds of wrestling can take place in mm-hmm. communities and environments that can actually be something that's fruitful towards a fuller, more reconstructed faith. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. T- tell me a little bit about your own journey. Have you ever, would you have, say that you've gone through a process that you called deconstruction or maybe you call it something else? I've been blessed by how I was brought up. Um, my dad and mom are, you know, we're very strong followers of Jesus, but um, and specifically, my dad was a missionary. And so um, I'm half Puerto Rican and half German. And um, and I grew up in Germany when my dad was on mission um, and to, to Romania and stuff. And like, um, so um, we moved to the States when I was six. And so I just saw firsthand my dad doing things in faith and working in, in these things and just like loving people. And I was like growing up kind of intellectual and no matter what I could ask my dad a question and he'll have a conversation with me about it, like, like on anything. And so I think I was, I was um, blessed for that. Like um, I, I talked to people and they complained that their churches can't give them good, adequate answers to questions. And, uh, and I can't say that about my dad. My dad did give me good, adequate answers. And, and when he didn't know, he was like, I don't know. You should read these books. And like he was obvious about like, or he was honest about it. He was, he was like, oh, I don't know. That's, that's too much for me. You gotta, you gotta read these books. So it was, uh, it, so I didn't have a time where, where I doubted my faith to the point where I, I, I even got close to thinking about losing it. I had lots of questions, but then whenever I had questions, I studied. Yeah. Um, and then I, and I, and I came up, I came with, uh, satisfying answers. And I didn't read these, some, some, of the, some of the books you read are junky. I mean, just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of books out there, they're junky. They're not like, I, I like, like they're the books I read were, were excellent books and there's so much good stuff out there. And then there's junky stuff that, that just reiterates the platitudes and stuff like that. So, um, I was able to be pointed towards the right stuff. And then I always researched any of the questions I had. And so I, I was never left with, too many uh, really strong questions. You know, my daughter Mila, she asks a hundred million questions and um, every day, like so much. And I answer them and I don't like, I don't shoo her away. And I don't like, uh, for the most part, you know, sometimes uh, <laughs> like <laughs> I don't shoo her away. And I don't, I don't say like, uh, no, I, I answer them and I answer them to the best of my ability. And I think, um, I think that's what, that's a big reason of how, why someone, would not deconstruct if they have the really strong evidence in the life of Christians around them. Yeah. And then they also have that space to answer questions. And if somebody doesn't know, they say, I don't know. Here's some books. Check these out. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And and, and I think you're putting your finger on something really important is that it's not that question that having big questions is a problem. Oftentimes mm-hmm. it's when people have questions and we get really squeamish about the fact that they have questions yeah. is what oftentimes will lead people to really press into that deconstruction where they feel like, okay, well, obviously this isn't at a place or this isn't a faith yeah. that can really bring me to a place of, of intellectual honesty. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, something I was thinking about, um, you know, when I read your book, which is excellent, by the way, Oh, thank um, you. Happy to endorse it. It was fantastic. And um, I think so good. Um, one thing I think that also happens, and I, I haven't had a, uh, read any studies on this, but I, I, I think um, just observationally, those groups that tend to deconstruct 
also tend to be coming from places of privilege, if you think about it. Mm. So yeah. if, you, if you think about global Christianity, so many people are struggling just to stay alive. So the questions that, that start vexing you, uh, they never even get to because their prayers yeah. are about, you know, getting a job, eating, feeding the family, you know, like, uh, like doing this kind of stuff and, uh, or oppressive social groups and stuff like that. And that's just such a huge majority of the world. Um, so I think deconstruction is, is weirdly, I mean, obviously it can happen anywhere in the world, of course, but sure. it is, um, it is a much higher phenomenon in our Western, uh, kind of state of, um, privilege. But do you know what I think is also crucially important? I think every, uh, I think this is the this is the most practical advice I think for a church to do. Mm-hmm. Get in the field. Mm. The thing is, there's so much hurt in the world. There's so much hunger and pain and stuff like that. And if we're at this place of leisure, then make yourself uncomfortable. Go yeah. ha- ha- go help people that are in some major need and show that Christian love just like Christ did. But the truth is Jesus, like he didn't, he, he saw, as he was teaching, he saw the, the masses hungry, so he fed them, right? He yep. healed people and that's what made it receptive. Not everybody can teach through all of these really difficult um, situations, but we have enough theologians and leaders in the church that can. Yeah. So I think we need to step up, invite those conversations, Churches need to be listening to their theologians, inviting them to speak. If a church is lucky enough to have a Andrew Ray Williams, who is a pastor and a theologian, then um, <laughs> you're, you're well equipped to ha- handle those questions or whatever. But but if they're not, they at least have they should have a network where there are people that can. So create the space, yeah. create the openness, the dialogue for that, and then churches should simply get busy. Go get yeah. in there, get roll up your sleeves, and help people. Yeah, man, I, I think that's a really good word. I think part of it is just a, a focus that it's so much easier to focus on these little tiny things that if you give yourself some perspective are actually really tiny things, not as big as you think they are. Yeah. And um, I think the same can be true with our faith, that sometimes when we go through difficult things, naturally we begin to, to take a step back and begin to reanalyze our lives. And I think that's a natural response. You're going through difficulty. We we have some questions that come up, but then they, when we get hyper-focused on them and we don't have a community um, to help draw us back in to the life of faith, that is really ultimately not just a mental exercise, but a way of following Christ, yeah. we can so easily get zeroed in on these, on these, these mental issues, right? Yeah, 100%. Let me go let me go here Stephen. Um I would love to hear, you know, I love hearing about your dad um entertaining big questions you have. I mean, that was my experience too. I'd ask my parents a lot. I mean, I was I was the same kid in Sunday school, dude. I mean, I I had all the questions and all the arguments, and even yeah. when I didn't know it, I thought I knew it. Um yeah. <laughs> and but I always had I always had big questions. I was always interested. Yeah. Um and Pat interested Pat answers really never worked for me either. Um, so when I was able to go to, you know, to one of my parents and, and my dad was a pastor. Um, so go to my dad. And even if he didn't have the answer, he was willing to listen and talk it out. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear about for like for people who are listening 
potentially who are who are parents yep. and thinking about how to disciple their kids in their faith. I mean, when I wrote this book, I actually dedicated it to my three kids because mm-hmm. one of the things I set out to do is to provide a faith robust enough to be passed down. Yep. Not only in its robust spirituality, but also in its uh, thought forms as well. Yep. So that I can hand my kids the best of the Christian tradition for them mm-hmm. to go forward on. How can how do you think you might exhort parents in their role in helping uh kids have a robust faith so that when they do have questions or they go through difficult circumstances, um, yep. maybe they wrestle with their face, but they're not throwing it all out. I think being just straightforward and honest about stuff is is number one. You know, like I, I think the disingenuousness that we see is like people trying to protect uh, others from other stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I, it's going to be like when, when Mila studies in school, she's only eight now, but like when, whenever she gets in school, I'm going to tell her straight up, Hey, Nietzsche gave, in my opinion, the strongest critique against Christianity that I've read. These are his points. You know what I'm saying? This is kind of where I came at, but like, you can read like, just be honest, like, like literally just talk through those situations. What I love about yours uh, your um, your rearticulation is that those simple prayers became affirmations, right? Of mm-hmm. of like faith, I like of what you believe and what what we what we hold and 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 why. And I think that's important, just to like say, hey, these are the affirmations. They're rooted in these creeds. This is what Christians have said for thousands of years. Yeah. And then just like even tell them, be like, hey, this is why we we say this, you know? And um and just so I think that's that's huge. But I think it also does require a little bit of um of work on the parents' part. Yeah. To also understand why we say these things. Uh, but then also like just being honest, like if a parent's like, you know what, that's such a good question. I'm not even sure. I'm thinking this, but let me go talk to my friend, Andrew Ray Williams, you know, and like, let me see what he thinks. And let me, I'll tell you, I'll talk to you about it. But that's, that's a really good question. That's huge. And then, and then like a week later, they come with some answers or, or you guys get coffee together, whatever. That is, I think a child would be, I, I know if I was a child, probably you too, like, like, wouldn't that speak volumes to you? Like, um, absolutely. Like, just you know coming saying? with humility rather than a defensiveness. Right. A, 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 a posture of humility and desiring to resource. Yeah. Um, I think is, is huge. I mean, otherwise you expect them to say like, um, like, I don't know, but you know what? You don't need to be questioning God. <laughs> like stuff like that. Like, man, get <laughs> out of here. You know yeah, what I'm saying? And, and, that, and that is actually oftentimes what, what people get yeah. Which is what ends up, I think, a lot driving them into thinking, huh, well, if that's the case, if I can't be honest before God, which, by the way, is is littered throughout Scripture. It, oh my we, we can be honest before God, right? Read the Psalms. Good night. I know. And that is the place where God meets us, is when not only we are, and I think this is one of the trappings of deconstructionism, is when, and this is why I want to root it in prayer, is when you actually bring those prayers and laments and even protests to God, mm-hmm. that's the place where those questions can be transformed. Yes. And, but oftentimes we are, you know, blogging about them or talking about them, not praying through them it with the church, with the, with b- fellow believers. And I think that's where God can come and meet us and help us pray like children believe again, with a renewed sense of mature faith. And I think I think that's why your book is so good on this, because like I can guarantee you, like if, if we hold to this notion that God is our father and he loves us very deeply, 
I guarantee you he wants to talk through these things with you. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But then we don't want to hear God himself on these issues. Like, yeah, yeah prayer needs to be the number one stop. You know what I'm saying? And then, <laughs> and then do the other, the other stuff that we're talking about is also very important. But no, like, like first and foremost, you need to pray. Because I think what, what happens a lot of times, even in prayer, is God will not give you an answer, but he will give you a, a, a sense of contentment. Yeah. But that doesn't mean stop seeking the answer. You might still need to go into and start doing theology and stuff like that. But it, it gives you a, a peace as you go. So like you won't be anxious as you're finding the answer. You know what I'm saying? That's and so right. like, um, yeah, we just we just need to talk to God about it. It seems to be that it, it's it's a total category mistake to try to dip, to say that somehow trust is an excuse for not seeking understanding at all. Yeah. And we can still trust God uh, while at the same time seeking how he wants to communicate himself to us. In fact, you could, you could say that's, that's a, that's a deeper sign of trust. That's right. You know, saying I have these doubts and that's why I'm going through it because I trust you that much. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, like, and we, you know, faith without doubt is impossible. We talk about that. Cause then you just, you know, you have um, just a fervent belief that's not rooted in faith and like something else. But um, so so the doubts are not bad in themselves. And I mean, we hear sermons about this all the time. And I think that's this is a message that gets taught pretty, pretty frequently is that the doubts yeah. in themselves are not bad uh, because they produce faith. But then they don't go to the second regard. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like they produce faith. And so like, OK, that's cool. But that doesn't mean you stop learning or, or seeking, because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, then you're going to you're going to dig into these questions and. And also not just just don't be afraid of the other like other stuff. Well, man, this has been so good. I, I, what I want to do is end on this question um, is, you know, if if someone happened to stumble upon this podcast and is listening, they're wrestling with some big issues, but they do want to follow Jesus. They're just having they're having difficult wrapping their heads and minds and hearts around what it means to follow Jesus right now in the 21st century, you know. What would you want to say to that person that's looking to reconstruct their faith? I would say dive in. You know, um, uh, I have the faith, and, and, and I think you do as well as we talked about here, that no matter what, how big the question is, no matter how big the problem is, we'll find Jesus on the other side. Yeah, that's right. There's so many good resources. There's so many uh, good things that, um, that when we dive in, I think it'll it'll be um, really for our benefit. Um, I would, um, if you're looking for books, um, I would just kind of use some practical advice of some publishers that I know publish really great vetted books. Um, IVP, Baker, Zondervan, you know, and I would I would kind of like uh, um, stay away from uh, uh, books that are self-published, um, YouTube channels, um, you know, these these kind of things. And, and there's nothing. Not saying that there's something wrong with self-published books. My pastor self-publishes books. He's awesome. It's just hard to differentiate when they are great or not, especially when you're dealing with big questions that you don't know the answers to. So the thing about these good publishers is that they're very, very strongly vetted by um, by uh, uh, a review process and uh, often a blind review process. So um, so that's what I would that's what I would say. I, I would talk about. I would look at a cascade. And look at uh, Andrew Ray Williams' book. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, AJ Soboda's um, After Doubt's a great book. Um, 
And uh, there's, a, there's a ton of, there's so many good sources here. And some pastors that are writing on this level too, um, like Tim Keller, like some of these really kind of like wise pastors. Um, and then they publish with like kind of the bigger publishers that like, um, that are very well vetted. So I, I think we could find a lot of answers there. And then just, uh, just seek, seek and you'll find, you know, and um, knock and door will be open, seek and you'll find. Um, and, and, but before you do any of this stuff, before you do any of this stuff, take Andrew's advice and take it to the Lord first. Um, and talk through it with God. And that's going to be not only a better sign of your faith, um, but is ultimately how you're going to find that inner peace and solace as you deal with these issues. Absolutely, man. That's such a good word. And I love that you're pointing people not only to God, which obviously is the most important thing, but even beyond that, pointing people to, to, to be resourced themselves, because I think unless you're in, unless you do know about these resources, um, you can kind of feel like, man, are Christians just not talking about these things? Like I, I remember in the first chapter, I quote, you know, uh, Marty Sampson, who was a Hillsong yeah. um, songwriter, wrote all these great, amazing songs. They're still being sung today. And he went on record to say, look, no Christians are talking about the big issues. And I'm like, what? 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 Are you, what? I, I, could, I couldn't believe that. I could not believe that. Because there, it's it's, but so many people don't know that there are so many great people out there that really are bringing together the heart and the mind, and have helping. been for two thousand years. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, if you are, if you're, de- if you're deconstructing, if you're trying to reconstruct your faith, and you really do desire to move into a greater sense of um, connection with Jesus and His body, I really ex- take Stephen's advice: go to God. But also look out for some great resources. Um, like I said, we're going to actually have uh, some other people in the podcast who have written, written books on the subject. So um, this is it's there's a lot out there, and of course you need to go to Life Pacific University and study with Stephen because he'll uh, he'll help you along those lines too. One thing but, I will say, and I think you probably would say this too, is like uh, you can email me because if like. Uh, um, on, on the school's website, you can find my picture and my email there. Um, it's just my name, S Felix Yeager at lifepacific.edu. And I will point you towards resources if you're stuck. Um, and, and I know Andrew will do the same thing. I bet That's everybody right. who's going to come on your podcast will do the same thing. Cause when it's all said and done, we're one family and, and we are looking out for each other and we love each other and we love God. And, and we want, um, I, I want, I want, if any, if anybody out there is being touched and, um, and needs needs a, a little guidance and, and I can offer any, I 100% want to. Absolutely, man. I love that. And yes, I echo it. Email Stephen, email me. We'd love to talk more. But man, this has been such a good time together, Stephen. I so appreciate your perspective. Really respect you, not only as a scholar, but as a friend. And so really, really appreciate you being on here, man. All right, All right brother. Thanks so much again for listening to this episode where I talked with my friend, Dr. Stephen Felix Yeager. If you are interested in going deeper, I have a whole book on these ideas and actually how to begin to reconstruct faith and move beyond deconstruction to a more full, holistic spirituality. It just came out with Cascade Books. You can get it on Amazon or pretty much anywhere books are sold. Really look forward to some more podcasts to be dropped in the coming weeks. They're going to be dropped every single week. So make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And really looking forward to sharing more conversations with future guests. Thanks so much, everybody. And we will catch you.
catch you next episode.